Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again before your holy throne and we sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy is your name, O God. For you are worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of all blessing. And we pray that you may be honored, that you may honor yourself through the preaching of your gospel, the gospel of your son, the revelation of your glory in the person of Christ. That's what the gospel is about. And may you cause us, Lord, to see Christ as the reason for the gospel. We pray and we thank you for granting us this hour of going into your word. And we just pray for understanding. I pray, Lord, that you give me clarity, give me the words that I may say exactly what you would have your people to hear. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to go into the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that almost everybody, even the unbelievers, know about. They know something about the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that is used a lot in the church to teach people about being good and helping other people. But as far as I know, as far as I have heard from other people, I have not had anybody really going and getting the gospel from this story. And so the Lord providentially drew me to this story through some conversation that Brother Brian and I had. And even then before, I had always thought the same way until I looked at it again. And the Lord just opened a lot of gospel understanding from it. And I was like, okay, this is glorious. I have to share it. I can't keep it to myself. So let's go to Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, 
pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. The title of our sermon is The Gospel the lawyer and the good Samaritan. Stand once and all. The all would be, and he came to him. He came. He came. If you want a third one, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. And I shall I have a fourth one. What shall I do to have eternal life? Very important question. So the gospel, the lawyer, and the good Samaritan. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a very specific message that talks about a very specific person and the work that he accomplished to save his people from sin. It's a very specific message by a very specific person about some very specific work that they accomplished. To save very specific people from their sin. Saying some good and useful things that help people's difficult situations of life is not the gospel. Even if you use the name of Jesus in it. Coming and believing in Jesus is not the gospel. Your baptism, my baptism is not the gospel. Going to church giving money to the church, speaking in tongues is not the gospel. Teaching the gospel is not the gospel. Serving Christ is not the gospel. Feeding the poor and fighting for social justice, social causes is not the gospel. Being moral and paying our bills on time and being a good person, whatever that means, is not the gospel. Believing in the gospel is not the gospel. Repenting is not the gospel. Believing, faith, repentance happen because of the gospel. But are not the gospel. They are a response to the gospel. Why? Because everything that I've said so far involves you and what you do. And as long as it is you doing it, whatever that which you are doing, whatever you are doing is not the gospel because it's James doing it. The gospel is not about you. It is about some other person. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who in his life perfectly obeyed the law of God in his death reconciled his people to God. His people who were under the judgment of sin and death. And in his resurrection, God the Father testified 
that he had accepted the payment that Jesus had made on the cross on behalf of his people. So it is the payment that Jesus made on the cross that saves you and I and nothing else. The work of salvation is already finished. It was finished when Jesus said, it is finished. And so our faith does not pay anything. It does not help the gospel. Our faith is only because God is calling us to partake of the hope that is in the gospel. The payment for sin, the payment that leads to salvation, required the death by one who is both God and man. A sinless and perfect sacrifice and high priest. And the last time that I checked, which was this morning, you and I are not the God men. And so that discounts everything and anything that you and I can do to add to our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to improve the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing that we can do to undo the work of Christ. So what about faith? Faith is a gift of God that only connects his people, the elect, to the righteousness and the payment of the one who lived, who died, and resurrected for them. The elect, the chosen, the saints, are not those who build schools for the poor. The elect are the ones that God chose by his grace in Christ. These are the ones that he gave to the Son, those who were chosen from before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus Christ is the gospel. And he is the good news. Because by him alone, by his obedience alone, the captives have been set free from sin, death, and condemnation. By him alone, salvation has come. By him alone, salvation has been accomplished. It has been perfected. And by him alone, God has been revealed to those who lived in darkness. And Isaiah would say in Isaiah 61 verse 1, which Luke would also quote in Luke 4.18 and say, and this is Jesus speaking, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What is the gospel that you are bringing Jesus? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So the gospel is good news to those who are poor. Which means those who can't help themselves spiritually. Those who are broken hearted. Those who are captives to sin and death. Those who are blind, spiritually blind. Those who are oppressed by sin and death and condemnation and the devil. And these are all spiritual descriptions 
of God's people. And that is important background for us to go to the story of the Samaritan woman because we are going to see all these elements, not the story of the Samaritan woman. I love the story of the Samaritan woman. (laughs) This is background for us to go to the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And as I said in the introduction, many preachers and the majority of people who use this parable, they use it to teach works and to exhort people to do good things. And in many ways, that is a fair understanding of the story because in the larger teaching of the New Testament, the Lord does exhort his people to do good works, but they miss the point of the story. They approach the story without the knowledge of the gospel and so they make it more of an application sermon than a teaching of the gospel. And application sermons are destroying the teaching of the gospel. And the majority of the so-called successful ministries are built on application sermons. They are built on giving you useful things that you have to do to make things right with God. People think they should hear about themselves and their lives and get some useful tips. And I can get a lot of useful tips. I just have to watch Oprah. And I'll bring them here. And Dr. Phil. And the whole entourage. (laughs) But that's not a good use of the word of God. If you read the Bible without looking for Jesus and his gospel, you are completely missing the point. You are reading the Bible in vain. Does the Bible give you a lot of useful teaching on a whole lot of other things? Yes, it does. It does give you a whole lot of important things that you can learn about how to order your life. But ultimately, if you miss Christ, you have missed the point. And there are many who quote the Bible. They like to quote the Bible. But when they miss Christ, they miss the point of the Bible as the Jews were doing. The Jews were missing the point of the scriptures. So much that Jesus would say to them in John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. So all the scriptures, both the old and the new, testify of Christ. And so then, if they testify of Christ If we are reading them, we have to be seeing Christ. We have to be preaching Christ and him crucified because it is still the same gospel that was preached in the old. And since I am saying that, I may just remind you that prosperity gospel is not the gospel. You already know that. But there are other many gospels, even in the so-called reformed churches, that sound like the gospel but they still condition God's satisfaction to the sinner's own obedience and not the obedience of Christ. When you condition your acceptance by God to your own obedience, you have already removed Christ from the picture. The gospel is the gospel because your acceptance by God is conditioned on the obedience of Christ alone. 
And this is very, very, very important. So much that Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul says that's the most important thing. What is your testimony of Christ? Christ and him crucified, that is the hope of salvation. And Apostle Paul would say again in 1 Corinthians 9.16, and you know it's one of my favorites, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, war is me if I do not preach the gospel. And I wish this was imprinted in every pulpit in the world. War is me if I don't preach the gospel. If a preacher does not feel the burden of preaching Christ and him crucified, they should step down from the pulpit. They are not doing a favor to themselves or the ones who are hearing them. They are only increasing their own judgment. Apostle Paul said, war is me, and that is a war of judgment. That is a war of ruin. I am ruined if I bring anything which is not Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, If anyone brings another gospel, even if it is an angel from heaven, if they bring a gospel contrary to the one that Paul had already preached to them, he said they must be accursed. That is, to be banned for God's glory, to be put in hell for preaching a false gospel. So this is something very important, so important that Apostle James would warn us and say, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Very important. Because of that, we have to take this work seriously And when we hear what we hear, we have to hold to it tightly as Jesus is going to teach us later in the book of John. And so to the story, verse 25 of Luke 10. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer, or liar, he stood up. As a lawyer, they stand up, not because he was genuine about his question, but he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to exalt himself like every sinner above Christ. He was looking to see if he could cause Jesus to stumble in some way by his own knowledge of the law and that he might find occasion to accuse Jesus. And this they had been doing since Jesus came on the scene. And so he came, but to his credit, he asked the right question. He asked the right question and to the right person. And we'll see what kind of answer he got. And we'll try to seek understanding from it. Because that's the most important question that you and I have to answer also. What shall I do To inherit eternal life. It is always good. To ask a plumber. About plumbing issues. Not your doctor. It it helps. To go to the dentist. 
for teeth cleaning than an auto mechanic. And, and so, in the context of our story, the lawyer is in the right place and is, is talking to the right person for his question. He is talking. You could not have brought a better question to a person like Jesus. He asked the right question and to the right person at the right time. But prior to Jesus giving the story and to him talking to this lawyer, he had said two verses before, move back two verses before Luke 10. This is what Jesus has said. And it's important also to build in background of what is happening. In Luke 10, 23 and 24, Jesus turning to the disciples said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. This lawyer, in his own wisdom, belongs to those whose eyes have not been blessed to see the things that others are seeing. Things that Jesus said the prophets and the kings desired to see and did not see them. And to hear things which they were hearing from the mouth of Jesus and did not hear them. But maybe today, for this lawyer, today may be his day of salvation. The day for his eyes to be opened, for him to hear all these things that have been hidden from all these powerful people. Even now, as we are speaking, there are many in churches this morning across the country who are not hearing. Christ is being proclaimed, but they are not hearing and they are not seeing Jesus, even though they are around where Jesus is being talked about. So it is a wonderful blessing for you to be around where Jesus is being talked about and God has granted you the ability to hear. So Jesus is teaching them about the sovereign nature of salvation because if you move back again two more verses from the one that we just read and move back up, verses 21 and 22. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, praised the Father and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So this wise lawyer or teacher of the law is one of those to whom the revelation of Christ has not been made. He is counted among those who are the intelligent, the wise. God has blinded him to see Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ will only be known by special revelation from God. 
and no other way. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. He's also recorded in the book of Luke. He came to Jesus with the same question. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and posed the same question to Jesus. I want you to go to Luke 18 and we'll read verses 18 and 24. Luke 18, verses 18 to 24. A ruler questioned him saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who had it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. The question still is, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it is the most important question that one has to ask and find an answer to before they die because the one who has found the answer is truly and truly blessed of God. But these who came to Christ were asking about what they had to do to be saved. And that was a genuine and legitimate question to ask. But their thinking was wrong. They thought one had to do something good to be saved. They're essentially saying, what good work shall I do to be accepted by God? They wanted to be given a list of to-do things so that they would take out their pen and pencil and cross out and say, okay, on Sunday, done, on Monday, done, 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 and next week, I am ready to go. I'm done. Do you see the problem? They want to do something to end salvation. They want to do something to merit salvation. And to want to end salvation is the default position of all sinners. We want to work our way towards heaven. We want to build our own tower of Babel. That we may reach to the place of the Most High. But this is the problem. Salvation cannot be end. Salvation is not of works. Salvation can only be given. You can't end that which God only gives for free. You don't try to pay for something that the law says is a free service. If you do that, what happens? You get arrested. Why? Because it is bribery. It is corruption. 
trying to work your way into God's favor is bribery. And God will throw you out. Salvation can only be given freely, freely given without cause, without any merit whatsoever from you. And so Jesus thought to take the lawyer down this path, take him off his high horse by teaching him the gospel of grace and how God actually saves sinners. So he said in verse 26, just as he said to the rich young ruler, to, to the rich young ruler, Jesus brought the law to him. And to this lawyer, Jesus also brought the law to him and says, what is written in the law, how does it read to you? So the Lord took the lawyer back to Moses because the law is for humbling the self-righteous and the proud. And he asked him of his understanding of the law. Why? Because the law is God's measuring line of perfection. The law is God's measuring line for perfection. If you can align yourself perfectly with the law of God, Jesus says, you live. But this is a problem. You are crooked. You are crooked. You can never perfectly align with the law of God by yourself. The law requires that one do everything that it says to do perfectly. And if you fail at one point, all the cases in it and those cases that are not even written in the law will be brought upon you according to Deuteronomy 28, 58 to 61. If you go and read it, it actually says that if you break the law, there will be more cases that are not even written in the law that will be brought upon you. But if you can obey the law perfectly, if you could do it, then God would for sure give you eternal life. But let us hear. Verse 27 and 28. And he, the lawyer, answered. He's answering Jesus' question. What is written in the law? And the lawyer responds and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The law requires you to do it and not just talk about it. You do it if you have to live by it. The lawyer knew exactly what the law said and he summarized it correctly according to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 34 and 40. And we have to read that. I know you know this already, but we're going to read it. Anyway, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the lawyers are again at it, trying to cause Jesus to stumble. And verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, <laughs> asked him a question, testing him. 
teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang the whole law and the prophets. So the lawyer who came to Jesus, the one in Luke 10, is good on this. But he has a huge problem. He understood exactly the law, the way that Jesus wanted him to understand it. But he has a problem. And his problem comes from the second statement that Jesus makes. He says, do this and you will live. The law requires more than just talking about it. It requires perfect obedience. And that is a point that a lot of people forget when they claim that we are still under the law. We are not under the law because the law, as long as it stands, always demands 100% obedience. The lawyer came to Jesus asking for something to do and Jesus gave him something to do by which if he could do it, he will live according to Jesus. That is, he will attain to eternal life. But the man can't do the law because he is a sinner. The law demands perfection towards God and perfection towards man. But there's a better way. There's a true way by which man can be saved apart from trying to do the law. There's a way for sinners who can't do the law. Let us keep working the story. Verse 29. But the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer, like all sinners, they still want to justify themselves before God. They still want to exalt themselves. Instead of asking Jesus and saying, Lord, how shall I do this? Because I don't think I'm able to do the law. He instead shifts attention away from himself and says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Can you give me a few names? Give me the addresses. Give me the zip code of my neighbors. Is it Columbus? Who are my neighbors? So he wants Jesus to limit him to these people. He wants Jesus to identify the neighbors that he should love, that should be the object of his love, so that he can go and say, okay, that's all done, stand down, I'm done. That's what he's thinking. But the law demands perfection of you and I in our treatment of all men. Even the one who comes to rob you, even the one who hates you, God still requires you to treat them with perfection in thought, in word, and deed. And so Jesus has to teach him and has to show him how salvation actually works for those who can do the law. And that takes us to the parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him 
and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? So this is what has happened to the man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The man fell among robbers and they stripped him and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very steep and dangerous and winding road and robbers would hide and mug people. So the robbers would hide in the winding ways of the road. And they would rob people, would strip them of their possessions, and they would beat them, and some were even killed. But then what happened to this man? As he is lying there, half dead, by chance, according to Jesus, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. We have to work some understanding that you may see the glory of this story. Jesus mentions the priest and the Levite. A priest was a direct descendant of Aaron. Priests were those who served in the temple on behalf of the people of Israel. And their responsibility was to minister to the needs of the people before God, offering gifts and sacrifices. But this priest, when he saw the man who was beat down, he passed by on the other side. And this robbed man was most likely a fellow Jew. And likewise, a Levite. Levites were descendants of Levi from the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. Levites were descendants of Levi. And Levites also helped in the temple, but they were not necessarily priests. Priests were only from the line of Aaron. It's only the line of Aaron that had priests who could minister right into the Holy of Holies. You could not get into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place if you're not a direct descendant of Aaron. So to be a priest, one had to be two things. You had to be a Levite, first and foremost. 
you had to be a descendant of Levi. But that was not enough. You also had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. So Aaron was a Levite. But it is through his line that the priests were appointed to serve in the temple. So these are the people. Essentially, they are both Levites. Very important. And what do they do? They come to the place. They saw the man and they passed by on the other side. They did not want anything to do with the man. They did not want to be inconvenienced to try and help this desperate man. So none of them offered help. Verse 33 to 37. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. And so this is what the Samaritan did. Number one, he came upon the man. Number two, he saw the man. Number three, he felt compassion on the man. Number four, he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Number five, and he put him on his own beast. And number six, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And number seven, he on the next day took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And then Jesus, after having said that, asked and said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer answered and said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do likewise. So this is what has happened. Jesus has helped to answer the lawyer's question. Jesus has helped the lawyer to answer his own question about life, about salvation. But was Jesus saying, if you go and help your neighbors when they are in trouble, then you will inherit eternal life. Is that what Jesus was saying? But Jesus says, go and do the same. Remember the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Go and do the same. Does that command answer the question that was asked? Was Jesus now teaching that if you go and help your neighbors who are in trouble, that's how you inherit eternal life? If we miss the question and how it was answered, then we miss the point of the story. And a lot of people who approach this story, they don't work with the question. They forget the question. It's the question that is driving the story. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a gospel question. If the lawyer is going to be saved by loving his neighbor, then salvation is by the works of the law. But Romans 3.20 says, By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge 
of sin. So by the deeds of loving thy neighbor as yourself, no flesh shall be justified. And yet the man is asking Jesus about a justification issue. What shall I do to be justified? And Jesus says, go and do the same and you shall be justified. Is that what Jesus is saying? Let's keep working. If the man could be justified by loving his neighbor, by his own obedience, then the cross of Christ was not sufficient to answer the question of justification. It was not sufficient to answer the question of eternal life and Jesus died in vain. But we know that the cross alone answers the question of eternal life. Jesus alone answers the question of eternal life by his own obedience. He by himself finished the purification of our sins. And because he finished, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. What is this saying? This story is not about how we can get eternal life by being nice to other people. <laughs> you can't get life by being nice to victims of crime. To understand the gospel, to understand what the story is teaching, let's go back to verse 30 and we'll go into the gospel. Verse 30 says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So the man fell to robbers, and he was stripped down, which means stripped down to nakedness. And he was beaten, and he was left half dead, and that means his death was inevitable. But who are the robbers? Now we start talking. Who are the robbers? It's sin. It's the devil. It's condemnation. It's the law. The law laid a burden on him who was already robbed and beaten down. And they could not lift themselves up as to live. They could not. They could not. But who is the man? The lawyer was the man who had been robbed. He is the man who had been stripped and beat down and left for dead. And he could not lift up himself to do what the law demanded him. Let's keep going. Just like the man depicted in the parable, the lawyer too was not able to help himself. And even more, not even the other men who passed by, they could not help with salvation. And that is why they passed by on the other side. And unless someone steps up, unless someone shows up, death is certain for the man. Death is certain for the man who is in the parable and death is certain for the lawyer. Unless someone who goes by the Samaritan shows up, someone is destined to die. But what is that saying beyond the lawyer? You and I are the men who fell among the robbers. We fell to the devil. We fell to sin. 
And we were under the condemnation of the law. We were under the heavy burden of the law. And no one could lift the burden of the law. The Levite could not lift the burden of the law. Moses could not lift the burden of the law that was on us. So our death was guaranteed. We had to die. We had to die. But let's keep working. The devil robbed you and I in our father Adam. And sin stripped you and I of our covering of righteousness or innocence. And beat you and left you dead. That is condemned. So the beating and the robbing is in view of the events of the garden. How we as the fallen lost our righteousness to the devil and to sin and the resulting condemnation and the demands of the law that we could not fulfill by ourselves. Let's keep working. The man who was robbed is a picture of the spiritual condition of all men because of the fall of Adam. This is the condition of all men. They have been beat down and stripped naked. That's what happened to even Adam. So all men are dead in trespasses and sins. That is a picture of one who is dead in trespasses and sins. They have been robbed of their precious possessions, left naked without any righteousness, and condemned to die. So all men born of a woman are born robbed of righteousness. They are born naked. That is why when every child is born, they are born naked without any covering. We have to cover them. That is the spiritual condition of all men, even as they are being born. God is still preaching his gospel. And because they are stripped naked and they are beat down, they are unable to recover themselves. And no man is able to come to Jesus by themselves. Why? Because they have been beaten. They have been robbed and they are lying, bleeding, helpless, and they have no strength to come. The man was lying helpless on the road with no strength. He could not even say anything that was audible beyond 10 feet. No one could hear him. He was mute in many ways. But it is the good Samaritan who saw the man in his condition. He saw him and he had compassion on him and he came to him. The good Samaritan did not ask the man if he needed help. The man was left half dead. So he was unable to talk, unable to help in his own salvation he was just unable to do anything. So in our salvation, it is Jesus who came to every single person who is saved. It is Christ who came. There's no one who ever came to Christ by themselves. If Jesus has to wait on your door knocking and hoping that you open the door from inside, then he will forever remain knocking at the door without any answer whatsoever. Unless he comes and he knocks the door down, gets in and performs CPR on you because you are dead. Amen. And so if this man has to leave, what has to happen? 
the priests and the Levite can't help him. They don't want to help him. This is something glorious. This is something glorious. You have to hear this. Jesus in this parable did not say the men were Benjamites. He gave us the identity of the two men. And that is very curious to me. He gave us the identity of the two men as the priests and the Levite. Why Jesus? Jesus knows about the 12 tribes. He did not say they were Reubenites. He did not say they were Benjamites. He did not say they were Danites. He said specifically they were descendants of Levi. And that is very purposeful. Jesus singled out one tribe. One tribe. Why? Because the Levites are the ministers of the law. Moses is a Levite. And the discussion is about life and the law, obedience to the law, and how one can get life. So Moses and Aaron were brothers. They were Levites. And the law was given to them. It was mediated by them. And Jesus is saying, you know what the law says. But listen, but the law does not save you. The law does not save you. Why? Because of your spiritual condition. Because of the spiritual condition of those who are under it. And what is the spiritual condition of those who are under the law? They are beaten. They are stripped naked and have been left for dead. And that is why the Levite and the priests bypass the men. That is a picture of the law and its inability to save those who are beaten down and are naked. That's why they walked away. And God causes them to walk away to preach Christ. So the law can only look at you and leave you for dead. That's all it can do. It looks at you. Okay, she's dead. And it walks by on the other side. The law does not help. Why? Because the Levite did not help the man. The priests who were representatives of the law could not help the man. And so to that point, the writer of Hebrews says, go with me, Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 11. Hebrews 7, 11. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, if perfection, if salvation, if righteousness, if life were through the Levitical priesthood, that is, that priest and the Levite, for under it, the people received the law. So you see, the Levite and the priests are representatives of the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the order of Aaron? So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that the law could not give life. The law could not give righteousness. Why? Because it was given to the priesthood, to an inferior priesthood, a, a priesthood of men who were also dead in trespasses and sins. And so if life is to be had, it's not going to be answered by your own obedience to the law like the lawyer was thinking. The lawyer was thinking, if Jesus would just tell me a few commandments to do, then I could and eternal life. And Jesus says, no, you can't end eternal life. You're already dead. Something has to happen. Something has to happen. The law can't help you. 
the priests and the Levite can't help you because of your condition. The law has no power of salvation. It is the gospel that has power unto salvation. The law only gives the knowledge of sin. The law only tells you that you are lying dead and helpless. And you need someone to help you. So this story is a picture of salvation. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, no man is able to save another man from the robbery of sin, death, condemnation, and the law. That's what he's being saying. It is impossible. But something happened. Something happened. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 33 to 35. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Look again at the things that the Samaritan did. He did seven perfect things. Seven. Very purposeful. Not two, not five, not eight, seven perfect things. Number one, again, let's go through this. He came upon the man. Number two, he saw the man. Number three, he felt compassion on the man. Number four, he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And number five, and he put him on his own beast. Number six, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And number seven, on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. What is that? These are the works of the Samaritan. Seven perfect works of the Samaritan. That is complete and perfect work. That is complete salvation. Who is the Samaritan? Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. It is he who came upon the man. It is he who comes as a Samaritan. And there's purpose for Jesus to identify himself as a Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised people. And Jesus is saying he is despised of people. And it is he being despised as is who brings salvation. So it is this son of God who is lowly among them, who has come to bring salvation to those who have been beat and have been stripped of righteousness. It is Jesus who came to save us. And as I said earlier, the half-dead man did not call for help because he could not. He did not choose the good Samaritan. He could in no way move himself to seek help. The burden that you were in before Christ came was so insurmountable that there was no man, there was nothing that could be done. You could hook up all the cranes in the world to try and lift you up from there and you could not be lifted up. It took the omnipotent power of God to make you alive and to bring you to Christ. So the Samaritan saw him and he came to him. And when Jesus saw you, 
He saw you as one of his own. He recognized you as one of his elect. So he came. He came and saw that you were robbed of righteousness. That you were stripped of righteousness. Stripped of your covering. And you needed a covering with his own righteousness. Jesus saw the sin. He saw the judgment of death that was on you. He saw the condemnation and he felt compassion. What is that? That is grace. Because we are told that the Samaritan saw the man and he had compassion on him. That's grace. Because he was not under compulsion to save the man. God was not under any obligation to save us. But he, out of grace, had compassion on us. But listen to what else the Samaritan did. Verse 34. When he came to him, he, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The man could not be brought in to the inn naked. Remember, he has been stripped naked. He could not be brought to the inn naked because if this is an inn, it's probably like a rest stop. There are probably some other people who are coming, who are finding some refreshment at the inn. So the man could not have been brought to the inn naked. The Samaritan had to have covered him with something that he had. For the man had been stripped naked. The man had to be covered. The Samaritan had to bring something he had something in his possession of his own possession that he put to cover the nakedness of the man before he brought him to the inn. You see that? And so Jesus, and so Jesus covered us with his righteousness before we could be brought to the innkeeper. Jesus bandaged up our wounds. How? By his own wounds on the cross. By his stripes we are healed. He poured oil and wine on the wounds. What is that? Oil is for anointing. That is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the wine is for preservation. He poured oil and wine on the wounds. And the ones that Jesus bandaged, he gave the Holy Spirit. And he preserves them with his wine to the end. Jesus is he who poured the oil and not the innkeeper. It is Jesus who gives the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit is the work of Christ. So it is he who poured the oil. So what is that saying? These who have been anointed, these who have been bandaged by Jesus, cannot be lost again to robbers. The robbers of sin and death. And so the Samaritan did not stop there. He carried the man to safety on his own beast. Jesus bore our own griefs. He bore our sin on himself. And he brought us to the inn. And he took care of us there. But listen to this. But Jesus has to go. Jesus has to go. The Samaritan has to go on his journey, 
Jesus was not here to stay. He came to accomplish the work of salvation. And as soon as he was done, where did he go? He went back to the Father. And so before he goes on his journey, this Samaritan, this Jesus, he makes some remarkable statement and says, verse 35, On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will pay you. So the Samaritan paid 100% for the upkeep of the man. He paid. He paid. He's the one who paid. He did not go in and ask the man to say, do you have any denarii left after the robbers? No. He paid. He paid. Out of his own pocket. He gives the two denarii as a down payment. As a guarantee that he would come and finish whatever was owed for the salvation of the man. You hear me? And whatever more was to be spent was to be charged to his account. It was to be charged to the account of the good Samaritan. And when he returns, he by himself will make it all good. By himself. What is that saying? That is saying Jesus has to return to the Father after having completed his work. But of all those that he saved, he keeps them. He keeps them. He gives them a deposit. He puts a seal on them and he keeps them by his power. And he gives them the Holy Spirit as a down payment of their salvation. Isn't that what the Bible says? Second Corinthians 1. Verse 20 to 22. It's good. Second Corinthians 1 verse 22 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, isn't Jesus promising? Isn't the Samaritan promising? That he will come and make it good. And he's saying, all my promises are yes. He's going to have it. <laughs> Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God Through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ. And anointed us. Is God who also sealed us. And gave us the spirit in our hearts. As a pledge. So Jesus. Is he who promises. Is God who promises. And all the promises of God are in Christ. And all the promises of God in Christ. Are yes and amen. And it is he who anointed us with the oil of gladness, the Holy Spirit, and sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a deposit, as a promissory note, as a down payment, as a guarantee of our salvation, that our salvation is sure. And he will make good on all his promises For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So it is the Samaritan, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, who 100% bore the cost of recovering the man. It is Christ who bore 100% the cost of recovering us from sin and death. And whatever was required for our upkeep before God Whatever is required by the innkeeper, God the Father is the innkeeper. He said, 
charge it all on me. <laughs> charge it to my account and I'll make it good. Jesus Christ is the one who was charged with the responsibility of making full payment for our salvation. Do you see the gospel of grace? This is how salvation works, Mr. Lawyer. Jesus alone paid for our salvation. We don't in any way help in our own salvation. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in the salvation of his people. The Father is the innkeeper. The Son is the Samaritan. The Holy Spirit is the oil. And he also is the two denarii, the down payment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in salvation, complete salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. And with all that understanding, Jesus then says, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Now the lawyer is a sovereign grace believer. He's a sovereign grace believer. Jesus said to him, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. You get it now. You go and do the same. You go and do the same. But let's work some understanding as we finish this. The lawyer answered and said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Now he is speaking gospel. He is not talking law anymore. Because mercy and grace are gospel terms. Those are not law terms. He is speaking gospel. He has been taught of God. He now has answered his own question of how one gets eternal life. And if you are willing to receive it, the lawyer was given repentance. The lawyer was given repentance because repentance, gospel repentance, is a turning away from wanting to do the law to saying salvation is by the one who shows mercy. That's repentance. From tell me the commandments to do to saying it's only by mercy. <laughs> That's repentance. That's repentance. And that is the testimony of one who is born again. There's no man who is not born again who can come to the conclusion that the lawyer arrived at. No one. No one. The lawyer may actually be a brother. The lawyer may actually be a brother. But many will say, but he did not give a tenth. He did not sing in the choir. He did not according to their own criteria. They are wanting to assess the salvation of the man based on their own criteria. And yet Jesus is satisfied with the answer and says, that's it. You get it. You have been taught of God. You have given the correct answer of how salvation works. It's only by grace. And if you have understood that, go your way. So Jesus safely guided him just as he did with the Samaritan woman. Jesus safely guided him through the doctrines of grace and showing him how salvation actually works. And the lawyer ended up giving a true testimony of salvation and says, surely salvation is of the Lord, the one who shows mercy. So salvation, my brothers and sisters, only happens if and when this good Samaritan shows up and shows mercy, shows compassion, gives grace, anoints you, sees you, 
He is the one doing everything. So salvation is by grace alone in the finished work of Christ, the good Samaritan, who paid it all to the innkeeper and left you to the charge of the innkeeper who is greater than all because he left you to the hands of the innkeeper because he felt that it was a safe place for him. And we are kept by the power of the Father through faith. He keeps us. And Jesus would say to this point, and I'll finish in the next minute, in John 10, 27 to 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. That answers his question. He gives eternal life. You don't end eternal life. And they shall never perish. So he takes them to a safe place to the innkeeper. And he pays for all the bills. And he says, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So if there's anyone with some big guns, they may come and get the innkeeper. So the the innkeeper is some really mean fella. He's a mean guy. You can't snatch, <laughs> you can't snatch those that have been given to him. Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So the innkeeper is the father. I and my father are one. So to conclude, the lawyer showed us or God showed, showed us that he had given hearing to the lawyer of the hidden things of salvation. Remember what Jesus has said few verses before, that no one knows who the Son is. No one knows anything about salvation until and unless God reveals it. And this man, at the end of the conversation, gets it. So what happened? It's the Father who taught him, even as Jesus was saying these things. The lawyer is elect. He's elect. He understood the teaching of salvation And if he was saved, it was at this point of his conclusion that salvation is only by grace alone to those who do not deserve it, but are the dying, those who have been robbed. And Jesus says, now that you understand this, you go and do the same as my disciple, not to end life, because life cannot be ended. It can only be freely given. And I have some very interesting understanding. But Jesus says to the man, go and do this. At the beginning of the conversation, the lawyer gave two laws. And yet Jesus commands him to only go and do one. Why? Is the first one not important? The command to go and love your neighbor in the New Testament is only given to those who are saved. Go and read it. If you think I'm lying. The command to go love your neighbor is the royal law that has been given to the church. It's only for those who have been saved. So, I believe this lawyer was saved. Why? Because Christ gave him the command that he only gives to those who are saved. Go and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the command that Jesus gives to his people. And that's the gospel. According to the good Samaritan. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and thank you. We honor you for the gospel of grace, the gospel of the good Samaritan, our Lord Jesus Christ.
who was despised, and yet by his own doing, he bore the cost of saving us from sin and death and condemnation. And he lifted us up from the burden of the law that we may be set free. He anointed us with his oil, anointed us with his Holy Spirit. He preserves us, he keeps us, and the Father keeps us by the power of faith. And what security we have because of the Good Samaritan. Lord, may you apply this understanding to your people. May they grow in grace and maturity in their knowledge of Christ. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.